Hello and welcome to MacBytes, episode 87. I'm Mike Thomas and I'm here with my co-host Elaine Giles. And in this episode, Flaming Streaming, a Catch-22 and Afternoon Tea. But at first we heard from Jane. She said, Hi Elaine and Mike, interesting to hear of your iMac screen woes in episode 84. It sounds very similar to the problem I had with my 2011 27-inch iMac last year, just, just before we left Australia. In January 2013, the screen started to flicker intermittently and then went dark on the left side. The dark area appeared to emanate from the bottom left-hand corner and was at its, at its worst after the machine had been running for some time. I had Apple Care and contacted Apple, who arranged a site visit from a local Apple service engineer who diagnosed a faulty screen and arranged for a replacement. And a week later, the replacement screen was fitted and all was well once more. I do hope your Apple repair goes as smoothly as mine did. Cheers and thanks for the MacBytes 7 Marathon, Jane. Well, Jane sent two photos with that as well. And uh, looking at them, it's exactly the same problem. I don't think we have home repairs here, do we? Ah. Uh... Well, a guy once came out and fixed a brother printer, but that's all I remember. Oh, I had a guy fix a brother printer. He was awesome. I, I mean, Apple. I, I know they do in the States, but I've never heard of that here. That was my problem, what I'm going to do with it. Do I, do I risk a, a, a visit to the local Apple store? Thinking not. Um, or do I send it back? So I'm still at the point of wondering. But as I said last time... Um, I moved it. I moved it onto the other desk and it looked alarmingly well. I'm happy to report it's now looking rather poorly again. So it, there's definitely something wrong with it. I, from Jane's photos, I think she was a little bit ahead of me. Mine is heading that way. It's going black on the left. But until it's there all the time, I don't want to have to turn it off, turn it on and then wait two hours because they're not going to take that in the Apple store, are they? No. No, it's the dreaded intermittent fault. So um, more on that in the future, honestly. We also heard from Andy, Evie, Lynn and Paula, who all said thank you for the Mac Byte 7. And we heard from Nick too. Nick has been tempted to spend money, all in a good cause, I might add. He is very pleased with his new Anchor charger. Do you know I heard from about half a dozen people who said, I'm thinking of getting one of those, like the look of it. Could it be as good as they say it is? And it is, isn't it? It is. And not only, not only as I said in the last show, or one of the last shows, whenever we discussed it. Oh, so many shows. Yeah, so little time. Um, mm. Yeah, not only did I say it looked nice, but it also charges pretty fast, doesn't it? I Yesterday, I was in, in the garden watching the football and my battery was, was literally dying and I knew that I had to take the dog out for a walk and at sort of 15% I gave it some charge and within 20 minutes it was at about 30-40% certainly enough for me to take Maya out and not have to worry. Uh, I've noticed it is really, really fast with charging my iPod Touch, which tends to charge faster than the phone anyway. Uh, I'm using a cheapy cable, it was about 120 so it's not a proper apple cable so i get that annoying message every time i plug it in but literally it can say 10 percent you know charge me please and i plug it in and within 20 minutes it's fully charged mm. it's an amazing it piece of kit it's fantastic it for is. the price so i can highly recommend that you're highly recommending and so is nick so uh, glad you found that useful nick we also heard from carrie who admitted to being delinquent in her MacBytes consumption all logical though apparently <laughs> yes in fear of running out of new shows she's pacing herself and keeping some in reserve so on that basis carrie happy christmas <laughs> Do you think she'll hang on to it for that long? No. I, I don't think it'll see Easter myself, but you never know. We also heard from Tim. 
another one who is delinquent. But he had a marathon planned for his long trek to work. So I hope that went well, Tim, and we kept you entertained. And also Bob revealed how he accumulated so much OneDrive space. He says how he got to 128 gig. The free 7 gig amount used to be 25 gig and he got grandfathered in as long as we clicked a button that said we were actually using it. Then there was another 3 gig for enabling the auto camera uploads from a mobile device and when Microsoft rebranded SkyDrive to OneDrive they ran a promotion where the first X number of people that solved a puzzle got a free 100 gig. He says I forget how many people exactly but it was many thousands. Very impressive wherever it all came from. Thanks, Bob. And uh, everyone else who's taken time to send us feedback, we really appreciate it. We certainly do. Thank you. And you were getting rather excited this week about a product launch, weren't you? Oh, I was. I had it in in my calendar. Wednesday the 2nd, I think it was four o'clock, and uh, I was going to tune in for a live stream. That was the first thing that went wrong. Considering that uh, Amazon were announcing a streaming device, there was no live stream of the thing. So um, I ended up watching CNET. I've seen that before. They're where I turn for Microsoft stuff. Do you remember the Surface one? Yes. Maya was ill and we were running around the house clutching an iPad. I remember. Trying to watch it, uh, or at least trying to follow along with it. And um, they don't do bad coverage, but there was no live stream, which I thought was um, a little less than ambitious, considering it's a streaming device. Um, So so yes, uh, Amazon have got their own Apple TV, really, isn't it? They can say all they like, but it, it's, an, it's an Apple TV in another guise. One thing that came out of the CNET coverage was they were actually thinking, and it made logical sense when they said it, maybe they'd give these devices away to Prime customers. So obviously I got quite excited at that point. Uh, but no, it's $99. They announced a game controller as well, and they announced that first. So they talked about the gaming side of it before actually giving you the price of the device. The games controller alone is $39. That's expensive. It's a couple yes. of tweet bots right there, isn't it? Mm. So, uh, no, the game stuff doesn't do it for me. But uh, they did utter the magical words, and it's shipping today. It was like Steve Jobs was there. Obviously, my excitement waned somewhat. It's shipping today, but not in the UK, it's not. You can imagine how that went down. Mm. Yes. There was another thing that I watched it, and... It jarred with me as I was watching it. They put some slides up. So they had a, a slideshow going on. I was following it on a live blog and I had audio commentary, you know, three people talking about it on CNET. And they were putting reviews on the slides. And these reviews were from Amazon users. Obviously, they're Amazon. They've got access to them. Um, so you imagine you put a review on Amazon. Why do you do that? And I think one of the reasons is you want to help other people. You know, give your opinion on something to help other people. Either that or you want to vent your spleen. Yes. You know, either it's something personal for you, a personal reason you want to put it on there, that you're not happy with it or you are happy with it. I think a lot of people put reviews up there to help other people, though. Yeah. 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 I'm not at all sure there are many people put reviews up there so Amazon can waltz off with them without attribution and put them on a sales slide, though. No. Well, that's what they'd done. They, it just said an Amazon review. No name on it. And um, they cherry-picked the ones. So the ones that fitted the message they wanted to put out. So there was one in particular that was uh, for somebody who had reviewed an Apple TV and wasn't happy with it because it didn't stream something in particular, right? So it either didn't do games or it didn't do something and they weren't happy with it. And 
I thought, well, for a start, if you're going to use something just morally now, you really should give attribution for it. I know in the small print, no doubt they've got this stitched up, but that's not the point. Morally, I think you should say who that, who that belonged to. But then another point came up, and I think this could have explained why they didn't. Because the three people who were discussing it live on CNET were ridiculing these reviews, you know, as you would, because they had been cherry-picked to support whatever point Amazon wanted to make. And this one was like, oh, who's this idiot? And going on like that. And I thought, you know what? Just not necessary. No, Mm. no style, no class. I didn't appreciate that at all. I thought it really didn't need it. If the product is that good, it will stand on its own. You don't have to, you know, steal stuff from people and have other people ridiculing them. Not necessary at all. But yes, there's a new streaming device in town was the upshot. How does it work? Very similar to the Apple TV in concept. Um, They made a big deal of the fact that it was open. So it runs on Android and HTML. How open open is remains to be seen. It did have apps on it. So I saw an icon that looked very much like Plex. I don't know whether they ever confirmed that that is actually on there. Obviously, it'd be fantastic for streaming from the Amazon live streaming video service thing. But to be honest, you can do that to your Apple TV from an iOS device. So I don't think... Do you know what would have persuaded me to part with $100 for it? Go on. There's only one thing, and I know you do the same. 24. If it had 24 on within 24 hours of it being broadcast. Mm. Because we're we're not um, with Rupert anymore, are we? We're not. Which is going to cause a huge catastrophe next month. Yeah, well, Minster could invite us down for the weekend. I think we should move into Minster's yeah. f- for the for duration. Yeah, you don't mind, do you, Minster? That's fine, that's all right, that's sorted. <laughs> Mayor will keep Maddie occupied and all of that. It'll be fine, not a problem. Yes, um, they talked about that on, on the CNET thing and were saying that if it had that feature, then, then you know, it would be worth more than and they were talking at like $20 or maybe even free. And I thought about it and I thought, I would pay $99 for stuff like that. I don't really want to... I, I think I was a Sky customer and then we cancelled it. And I think if I want to go back to them, I have to sign up for 18 months. And I don't really want to do that. I just want to watch one programme. <laughs> so if you provide me a way to watch that, then you can have my money. Other than that, um, I'm moving in with Minster. This will come as news to Minster. That's him off his bike. It will come to news to Mrs Minster. It will, but I'm sure she won't mind. (laughs) She can go shopping and things with Minster's credit card. That'll work for all concerned. This is the problem with these devices, though, isn't it? Unless there's something unique with them, or they're incredibly cost-effective, like a Chromecast. I mean, the Chromecast, £30. I thought, I don't have a TV, so I don't really have much use for a Chromecast. An Apple TV, yes, I can plug that into my monitor, and I use it to test my presentation stuff. So I do have an Apple TV, no TV. Do have HDMI input on my secondary monitor. But a Chromecast, I'm not going to put a Chromecast on my monitor and try streaming to that, no need. But I thought, I can see a use for it for £30. If it was 100 no, I wouldn't have bothered. But for £30, I thought, if all I can get this to do easily is um, the iPlayer for my mum, then I will. And I got one and I installed it. It was an absolute joy to set up, joy to use, streaming quality is amazing. £30, done. Now, if you want 100 off me, you're going to have to work harder. And 24 is what you need to do. So I'll just put that out there now. So they've got a few weeks to, to get themselves in, into gear. And um, yeah, that's the other thing, though. It's not actually available over here yet. Ah. I'm stymied whichever way I turn mm, with this, are. aren't I? So while it was... Fabulously interesting. My interest waned towards the end as I realised I was facing that dreaded and it'll get to Europe sometime, never manoeuvre. 
Mm. After 24. Yeah, so interesting, mildly interesting, but um, call me again when it's available. But that wasn't all you got giddy about, was it, this week? No. We talked about my calendar app collecting before, and this week saw the release of Fantastical for iPad. <gasps> Ooh, it's nice. Uh, as usual with all these things, it integrates with the iOS calendar, so you're not keeping your stuff anywhere else but iCloud. So syncing up to iCloud then really but it is a gorgeous app it has a wonderful interface it's got two themes so you can have the light theme or the dark theme I think the dark one is the default the light one I came as quite a surprise when I turned that on it was very bright I thought I must be used to the other one it was pretty colourful I, I, I didn't dislike it when I tried it but I thought it's a little bit too bright yeah I um, went for the light one but both of them are very very nice they were very, very well thought out very nicely designed one of the impressive things with the design is um, the portrait landscape options because normally these things don't look bad in landscape or they look reasonably in portrait but not both but this one is usable in both I think I've only tried it in landscape no portrait you see, you would go for the odd one, wouldn't you? Most people try yeah. it in landscape first. Well, that's just because that's the way around the iPad is right now. Yeah, well, you tend to lock yours as well. Sensitive yeah. wrist and all that. Exactly. Uh, I tried both and it is eminently usable in both. So uh, design-wise, it's got a timeline scroller across the top and then you have a month view over on the right um, and then you have a list of your whatever's going on today on the left. So that is sort of a hybrid view because you've got three parts to the view. But the timeline scroller at the top, you can put a finger on that and drag it halfway down and it extends this hybrid view to extend a weekly view. So it kind of opens it up and you can actually see individual appointments in a weekly view. Weekly. Handy for MacBytes, that. I'll just throw that in there. No one will notice. Um, you can also extend this weekly view. So there is um, a sort of downward pointing arrow and you can either tap that once or tap and pull down. And it makes the weekly view cover the entire viewport of the iPad that you have. I like that as well. The whole thing is just so well thought through. It's got a monthly view as well, which I mentioned it's smaller monthly view with dots on. So if you use colours, which I do in my calendar, whenever I want to have them displayed in a different colour, I make a different calendar. So I think I'm up to 20 something, but it all makes sense to me. And if I've got two that are segmented, so I've got two different calendars for online events, there's online events that are just my events and then there's online events I share with Mike. But because Ultimately, they are just online events as far as I'm concerned. I make those the same colour so they come through the same colour. And now all of that comes through beautifully. I, I really, really like that. Mainly on the iPad, I'm consuming it. I'm looking at my calendar rather than working with it in terms of adding items. But I did give it a go. It can add calendar items and it's integrated with the reminders. So it can add reminders as well. What I thought was quite unusual, but very nice, was there are two ways to add items. You can have this simple view, so you literally just type in the bare minimum, or there's a more detailed view. And I prefer the detailed view because nine times out of ten, I'm changing the time zone. So that was the other thing. If you remember, I talked about that. Not all of them support time zones very well at all. Happy to report this one does. You do have to turn it on in the preferences. But as far as I'm concerned, the time zone support is perfect. As you specify the time zone for the start of it, um, the conclusion of it, the end time and date, automatically does that. Whereas on Pocket Informant Pro, that does support it, but it's a bit more fiddly. So I think time zone support implemented perfectly. 
And then something that I noticed, and I must admit, I don't think I, I've used that much on any other calendar app. I noticed the search and I said to you, I saw a screenshot of this and it looked really impressive. So I went and had a look and I think the searching is one of its most powerful features because instead of just searching across everything you've got in your calendar and your reminders, you can limit the search to the title, the location, uh, the invitees that you've got for each event, or you can search across the whole thing. So I deliberately put something in that I knew would only appear in a few events in the notes. And uh, then I tapped the all option and it brought them in instantly. So I thought that was not something I thought I'd do often, but do you know what? Now I know it's there. I'll be tempted to use it more, I think. I tend to know my calendar. That's the thing. I don't tend to lose stuff in my calendar, but a very nice implementation anyway. For me, yeah, the whole thing looks very nice, but particularly the reminders uh, that get pulled across from my calendar at work. I've discussed in one of the other episodes about me connecting to my work calendar. The, the problem I found with the reminders app, the built-in one, was it didn't seem to sync properly, but this does. The only thing I've found is that the I, I can I can assign categories to my reminders at work, my tasks in Outlook, and they don't get pulled across, but they are stored locally in Outlook, those categories. But at least I've got the reminders there, which is great. It would be good, wouldn't it, if reminders, uh, there was a kind of a standard, like a V card yeah. and a contact card. So, so, you know, all the information could go with it, but... Well, That's Microsoft. Why haven't we got that already? You do have to wonder, don't you? Mm. Anyway, it's a great app, and at the moment, only for a few days, I believe, it's on special offer at six ninety nine, which is half a tweet bot, but well worth it, I feel. And uh, it, the price is soon to rise to, I think it's going to be about £10 because it said at the moment there's 30% off. So if you are interested in Fantastical for iPad, get it while it's on offer. It is um, well worth the £7, I think. It certainly is. And much excitement this week when just after the MacBite 7 concluded, Apple released point updates for all the iWork apps. Well, the excitement wasn't about iWork, obviously. It was more about the chance of another MacBite 7, I thought. Much excitement about iWork here. No, much indignation again. Don't we know it? Why, what's wrong with it now? Same as before and more. Because it's not an update when all you're doing is adding features back from the last major version before this major version. Especially when those features are still substandard. First of all, there was pages. Uh, thumbnail management returned. Should never have been removed, should it? No. I uh, I don't think you ever used Pages to that degree, did you? I don't think I ever used Pages. It, it had a fantastic feature. It had this thumbnail view down the side. And each section, it, this to me was what set it apart, head and shoulders above Word. You could move, do you remember section breaks in Word? Yeah, all the time. I use them all the time. Well, you know, they work, but they're a nightmare to work with. If you had 10 sections in a manual and, and your manager says, I want that one at the top now. It, the cut and paste job, you would have to include the section breaks in the cut, wouldn't you? Yeah. To be able to go and paste them somewhere else. Well, what Pages had was the ability to move sections within your document, about in your document, by just picking up the thumbnail and moving them. It was a fantastic feature. It was awesome. They took it away. So now it's back. And they want me to be excited about that. But like I said, it should never have been removed in the first place. So that was Pages. I, I didn't delve into Pages much further because I was so excited about Keynote. You know what they said to me? What? 
We fixed everything. Yeah, right. But I didn't even get that far. I had a list of things to try, but I didn't get that far because I opened up Keynote and the first thing I noticed was the new slide button. Now, you would probably just totally ignore that, wouldn't you? Would. Mm. In the 09 version, the new slide... I use Command and N. Is it Command and N? No, that will give you a new presentation. Well, I use whatever the shortcut key is. If you knew what it was. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's um, Command, Shift and N, I think. Right. I'm, I'm, I'm doing it here. Yeah. Actually, 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 I right-click Duplicate or right-click New Slide. So I never use the New Slide button anyway. I must admit, I tend to use keyboard shortcuts too. But that's not the point. Because... Sometimes my hand is on the mouse. You know, I'm I'm doing mousy things, and I realise I need a new slide. And, it, and rather than you know fiddle about with a shortcut key, it's just easier to to go to the new slide button. Well, when they brought out the new unimproved keynote, they had moved the new slide button. Not a big deal, you would think. They had moved it down to the lower left of the screen. For me, it never felt right. I was looking for it and I'm thinking, Where, where's the new button gone? Especially important, seeing as though they had the temerity to lock the toolbar. So I couldn't I couldn't edit the toolbar in any way at all. I couldn't customise it and, and put it back where it should have been. So they'd moved it down to the lower left. Now, the apologists, you know, the Apple apologists, blindly following Apple and telling me to suck it up. Apple know best, apparently. No, they don't. You remember when they re brought reverse scrolling in? Yeah. I completely accepted that in under two weeks. And I'd had 20 plus years of the original scrolling. I thought when they said they were doing that, oh, I'm never going to get this, never going to get it. But I thought, you know, I'm going to give it a go because you have to do what Apple say. And I, I would say after maybe a couple of days, I'd got it, but I still had to think, do you know what I mean? I found myself inadvertently going the other way. But within a couple of weeks, it, it was as though I'd been doing that for years. But this new slide button in the lower left, Six months on, I was still convinced it shouldn't be there. My eyes know it's there and my head knows it's there. My mouse finger has other ideas. The thing is, I know why Apple did it. It looks pretty. It looks more integrated. The button itself looks like part of the Chrome of Keynote rather than being a button on a toolbar. It looks completely integrated. Design-wise, you would probably choose the lower left placement. You would leave it where it is because it looks nice, which just proves it's a designer that designed it and not someone who actually uses it. Guess what? What? They changed their minds back to where it should have been all along. Heaven knows what the apologists will be saying now, but it was literally the first thing I noticed. I actually read the release notes and they made no mention of that at all. That does not surprise me, to be honest. They would, they'd have to admit they were wrong. Because the new implementation doesn't look anything like as integrated as the old. It really is now. They've made the button blue. So it really does stand out. To me, that's where it always should have been. If, if after six months I cannot get used to the fact it's down the bottom, then it's in the wrong place. So at least let me customise it. But no, they've moved it back to where it started from. Why they just don't ask me to redesign the thing, I'll never know. No, but uh, dare we mention presenter view? I wouldn't if I were you. Too late. He already did. Oh, yes. And I quote, improvements to presenter view. We've added labels. I thought, what? what's a label? What's, what's, why in presenter view would I need a label? A label on what? So I go in there. It's not a label. It's a flat button. It's a button to show the thumbnail track. And that's it. So there is now 
you know, as well as everything else that you don't need in there, there's now this label and you click on this label and up pops the thumbnail track, which it did anyway. You know, you just move your mouse to the side and up it appeared. So people obviously couldn't find it. The other configuration massive air quotes options are just laughable. There's a range of checkboxes. Now, these actually came in in 6.1 and they've not done anything with them. But this range of checkboxes allows you to turn on and off the display of each element of the presenter view, which the very first original version of this new version didn't even have that. So it's good to have options, but without the personalization options, they're completely useless. Because what happens is you turn elements off and all the other elements on the display move in a completely random way. I, I know it sounds stupid, but honestly, that's what they do. So if you think about the default view when everything's turned on, you have your current slide displayed in presenter view and you have your next slide in presenter view. With them both turned on, the notes are displayed at the bottom of the screen. Now, you've seen that, haven't you? They are too wide to be useful. Yeah. I don't know about you, but I don't write my presenter's notes in prose. They're not an essay. They, they don't go in paragraphs. They are, if not bullet points, they're short two, three words. And then I'm on to the next line. Isn't that how you, how you put your notes together? If it's for me, yeah. If it's for the other trainers, then uh, I might do it more word for word. But in, on, in the main, same as you. Even if you did, I think if you had got a paragraph that had maybe, if the display was the way you would choose to have it, let's say this paragraph had like eight lines in it, your average screen is going to be a lot wider. It would probably stretch it out to a line and a half. Yeah. You can, if you're presenting to an audience, your audience will see your head moving right the way across your screen. And mm. if you're talking into a microphone for a webinar or any other kind of session like that, your head's moving across the microphone. So instead of just talking to the microphone, your head's moving because it literally is so wide. I think they need to be much narrower. So anyway, if you turn the current slide off, the notes jump up from the bottom and they then appear on the left next to the slide, which is on the right. But if you turn the next slide off, then the notes jump up to the right-hand side and the current slide's on the left. So it's like playing whack-a-mole. Room for improvement, then. Oh, you could say that. But you saved most of your venom for numbers, I believe. I know. You're amazed. I have seen as though I just had a right go at Keynote. Um, they've added back more stuff that shouldn't have been missing. Not the right stuff, obviously. Um, you still can't navigate the tabs at the side. So for me, more than five sheets is just a navigational nightmare. I even tried to come up with a fix. I thought I'll make a manual table of contents, put a tab in which has nothing but links to the other tabs. Yeah. Mm. No internal links. Oh. I mean, what are they thinking? But anyway, headers and footers take numbers to completely new levels of stupid. Point one customization options they're back you can now change the margins in print view and you can change the page print order that's the end of the good news i can't find um, a full print preview mode which is akin to what you had in 09 there is a new print preview it's just not as functional as before because what i used to do was work in this 
preview mode, what I would call print preview. Do you remember when they brought it in in Excel years ago? You could have like lines that indicated the edges of pages. To me, numbers took it a little bit further. It actually visually looked like a page. And because it looked like a page, you could see the headers and footers. So um, I worked in that view. But this new print preview, to get to it, you have to print and it takes you into print preview. But you can't edit the contents of the cell. And until this last point update, you couldn't zoom the view either, which annoys me because the zoom level is 65% and it stays at 65% no matter how many times you go into print preview and change it to 120 so you can actually see something. The next time you go back in, it twangs back to 65%, so no default there either. Um, But as I said, you can finally, six months on, edit the header and footer content. No fields, obviously, they disappeared, but it gets worse. What I, that's why I wasn't using it, because I did have custom headers and footers and it was totally ignoring them. So if I had opened my file and then saved it as the new version, I would have lost that. So I didn't, I left it in the 09 format. So I took a copy of of my favourite numbers file and I went into it. I opened this 09 numbers file and it had custom headers and footers and I couldn't see them at all unless I went into the preview. The way I have them laid out, I have the date on the left and the page number on the right. So it says page one of whatever, page X of Y. And it wasn't aligned to the right. Now it was in 09, but it just isn't in this new version. So I looked at it thinking, well, I must need to tab across or something. So I pressed the tab key and it did move it, but it wasn't moving it to the right place. So I thought, well, easy done. All I need to do is to change the tabs. To do that, I need to access the rulers. And herein lies the catch-22. No rulers accessible in print preview view. Okay, fair enough. I'll come out of print preview then. No access to headers and footers in normal view. Genius! Not. Excel anyone? Mm. I'm coming around to your way of thinking. Mm, Thought you might. Never thought I'd see the day. So, it was your self-righteous indignation about iWork that caused the next catastrophe at MacPice HQ. Well, I keep telling you that no good comes of taking time off and having a rest. And it didn't. No. I decided to take a break from all this and have a cup of tea. I know I shouldn't, but I do like sugar in tea. That's real sugar, not, not this fake stuff. Real sugar in tea. And I do tend to only have one cup about every three or four months. The rest of the time, it's plain cold water for me. Mm, You know how to live. I do. Well, unaccustomed as I am to having a cup of tea on my desk, you can probably guess the rest. The inevitable happened. And in moving stuff, I managed to knock it over. Yes, all over. All over my favourite keyboard. Disaster! And was it dead? Oh, come on, give me credit for more persistence than that. Never say never. I I unplugged it, grabbed a towel, turned it upside down. Should I admit to panicking ever so fractionally? Yes. Mm. Well, I did when I considered the effect of the sugar and I made a somewhat hasty decision. Go on. I grabbed it and made a dash to the bathroom. Where you did what with it? Stuck it under a fast-running shower. Unbelievable. You could say that. Seemed logical to me. I'm sure I've done this before, you know. Um, Well, it was already wet. What harm could more water do, I thought? Mm, Seriously? Uh, Well, it was more important to wash the tea and sugar off, which I did. No soap, incidentally. Uh, I left it there about 10 minutes under slightly warm water. 
and it emerged completely dripping wet. So I uh, shook it, toweled it and uh, left it to recover. And while I was doing that, I was using an Apple keyboard at this stage, cursing nicely to myself, um, a bigger disaster. Very short supply of the Matthias Pro keyboard in the UK right now. It was also, you know, as it would be, Friday. No chance of getting one for days. Not the best end to my week, I'll tell you. So, did the story have a happy ending? Happy to report it did. <laughs> Once I'd dried it, back to working perfectly. And it's rather clean too. Although, I don't recommend that as a viable way to clean a keyboard. I'm sure I've done that before, but I, I don't think last time it ended quite so well. Mm, don't remember. It's, it's a very well-made keyboard, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Seems to be. <laughs> anyway, let's bring back some sanity to proceedings with a user's view of OneNote. Yes, I sat down with a lovely Kevin Alder, who is a OneNote user, and we discussed the impact of Microsoft's decision to bring OneNote to the Mac. So I'm here with Kevin Alder from... You're the co-host, I believe, of The Geekiest Show Ever. Yes, I am. Thank you for having me on, Elaine. You um, are very welcome. I work with a, a very good co-host, my friend, uh, Mr. Mark Greentree, who I think you've spoken to a few times. Oh, yes, I've been on NAMP. Yes. I've been on NAMP with you. That's true. <laughs> I hosted an episode of NAMP with you on it. <laughs> that was it. We had a ball, didn't we? Yes, we did. So, you are here today because you tweeted. I tweeted something and then you tweeted and it was almost the same time and it was all about OneNote and I was shocked and you were making an, an admittance you were somewhat worried about, weren't you? Yes, I was. I, I tweeted out that I was going to, you could call me a heretic or whatever you want to say, but that I was going to load OneNote on my Mac and and I figured that all the, all the Mac, all my fellow Mac brethren out there would just become greatly upset with me. And uh, and and get rid of me, but I wanted to try OneNote because I've been a OneNote user for quite well, not a long time, but for quite a while now. And uh, I really like the application; it's it, it serves me very very well, and I use it primarily right now uh, for work. So, where do you use it? Now, this was the part you were worried about. I'm assuming a PC. Yes, I do, because I as. Anybody that's listened to me at any time would know that I, I work in a corporate environment and a fairly locked down environment. And I know that's something that uh, Mike also works in a somewhat locked down environment. So it, it's, uh, it's, it's a challenge, but I do use OneNote. I, I'm part of a large project that I'm working on, and I sit through many, many meetings every week. So I have to use, I have to have something, and paper didn't cut it. So I decided to go ahead uh, about six months ago, I guess, maybe seven, because I saw a couple of my coworkers uh, from other companies using it, and I thought, you know, they really seem to be efficient in the way they do things, and I thought it would be very good to try to be as efficient as they were. And it comes as part of the office suite that we get the corporate version. So I fired it up, and I have been very, very happy with it. I take uh, a lot of notes. People look at me and think I'm a little silly in the head because... I'm always walking around with my laptop. Uh, <laughs> I am fortunate enough, though, through work, that I do have a nice Ultrabook. It's uh, roughly about the size of, uh, uh, I would say, a MacBook Air, an 11-inch MacBook Air. So it's nice to have something small that I stick into my folder and just walk from meeting to meeting to meeting. Sounds like the perfect device for OneNote, doesn't it? It is. It is. You know, you have the keyboard and everything. 
I tried before that just using OneNote on my iPad. Not the best experience, Elaine. What went wrong? It it just feels, and maybe because it didn't have anything behind it, um, and it's it's kind of an interface that it needs a, a a bit more work. It doesn't seem quite as polished as the PC application, or with the little bit of experience I've had on the uh, Mac side, nowhere near as polished as that. So it it's kind of tough to work in and 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 keep things going and and keep a flow going. I'm very used to the the way that you can grab and pull and dump things into uh, OneNote, much like everybody who uses Evernote talks about. You can simply just you know pull this, type notes anywhere. The the iPad version still needs some work. I it, it's hard to say without really using it a lot, uh, or to show without re- really showing somebody. I mean that it just doesn't seem to fit it. It's like they kind of threw it out there, and it's almost like a viewer, kind of the way, mm. kind of the way Google Docs had their their application uh, for a long time uh, until they sunset it for you, of course. Um, <laughs> uh, the way the Google Docs application was on the iPad, it was kind of just a look into it. You really couldn't do anything with it. Yeah, that's what I thought with it. Um, I've used OneNote for much longer than that. I started with the Alpha. I think it was 2002. It was either 2001 or 2002. And they announced this thing and brought it out. And I thought, I like the sound of that. Because I, like you, I make notes all the time. I've usually, back then, I had a pen in my hand. Um, And I started using it. I absolutely loved it. It made complete sense to me straight away. And uh, I did carry on using it. At that time, there was only the PC version. And like you're saying with the version on the iPad and the Mac, it was a lot more basic than the PC version is now, but I could still see the potential of it. And you made me smile when you mentioned the hardware you were using it on. (laughs) Back in 2002, I used it from 2002 to 2006, so I had four years using it. But I had a device, and um, I think at the time it was called a tablet PC. Do you remember those? Oh, yes. We still have some of those floating around my office, actually. Trouble is, back then they weighed about 50 stone. Uh, these do too. <laughs> so, so the idea was okay. Um, and the implementation of the handwriting recognition was fantastic. You could you know, draw things out as you were in meetings. But the problem was, you know, it was in your hand. So I'd, I'd go to like Microsoft events and there were no, no desks. You were all in rows of chairs and you couldn't hold this thing and the battery lasted about 30 minutes. So it would have been great, but it just wasn't quite there hardware wise. But I, I loved it for that reason. And I, I wondered when you mentioned it, I thought, does that have any kind of handwriting recognition? Is there any touch element to it, to what you're using it on? Mm, well, if there is, I no, I haven't tried that because it's, again, it's on a, a like an Ultrabook PC. Mm. So I don't really have handwriting. But the my machine is, I, I could hold it up, but it wouldn't. the audience can't see it if I hold it up, of course. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's, a, uh, it's, it's a nice small, it's a Dell... XPS uh, Ultrabook, and please nobody shoot me for using a Dell. This is the corporate machine. Um, it's foisted upon you. Yes. Well, actually, this one I requested after I saw one other person using it. So I, <laughs> I went from a, a very large, heavy laptop to this, but that's a different story. Um, but it is nice. I mean, I sit in meetings, and because of the law, and this thing has a great battery life in it, um, Not nothing like a MacBook Air, but I can get Oh, at least three quarters of a day, sometimes an entire day out of it. 
Um, yeah, that's not bad at all, is it? No, I'm, I'm talking to work day, of course. And mm. uh, it's light, like, like I said, it's light enough. I actually have a portfolio that I carry around with paper in it still in case I need that. But it fits inside that portfolio, and you can't even tell I have my laptop in there. So. No, mine was much bigger than that. It was an Acer tablet, but the, the key thing with it was there was a special version of Windows uh, with handwriting recognition. It shipped with a few apps, but it was OneNote that really sort of made it. It was great for diagramming, but I didn't find it too easy to actually write in it as notes. I actually preferred to type in it. So that wasn't too much of a loss apart from the diagram side of it. But uh, sadly, I had to leave it behind because when I moved to the Mac and it was one of about two apps that I was really concerned about moving to the Mac and there not being an equivalent version for the Mac. One was OneNote and the other was Outlook. Um, but then they introduced a web app. Do you use the website of it? I have used the web app some. Um, there is it, it has a decent interface. I do kind of like that. And I've experimented with it. I actually experimented with it uh, prior to starting to use it on the PC. And I was experimenting with it. I always like to see the web apps that Microsoft comes out with. I like to experiment with them on the Mac. Um, simply because I think it's nice that I can still have some of the functionality I'm used to or have to use at my daily job. And it's, it's, it's great to try that. So that's where I experiment with. Uh, matter of fact, when I set up OneNote on uh, my Mac here, it found the couple notebooks that I had stored. <clears throat> excuse me, in my uh, uh, web app version of it, it said, "Oh, look, you have two notebooks. Let me pull them in. Here they are. If you want to start adding more notes to them," which I thought was really good. That's nice that it syncs up and hooks up, and that, mm. and that's one of the challenges I want to figure out is how in my corporate environment I can sync up OneNote on my uh, laptop, my PC to that account too so that I have everything everywhere much like you do with Evernote. Yeah it works very well in that regard I was quite surprised I, I've actually always enjoyed um, SkyDrive which has recently become OneDrive and it's OneDrive that's powering that. Must admit I have never had any kind of sync issues with it unlike iCloud which hates me. I, not quite as much as I hate it but uh, <laughs> it just doesn't seem to work. Have you had a good syncing experience with it? Uh, it's back and forth, you know, it, mm. it, 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 sometimes it works great, sometimes not so great. Um, but I'm, I'm in uh, the old saying in for a penny in for a pound. So I think I'm going to, uh, I'm going to go full force in this and try to work with, uh, our security team and stuff too, to see if they'll let me have, uh, if we can set this up to make it easier, because I really believe this could be a great productivity tool for, uh, people that do the same type of work that I do. Uh, and it would make, uh, you know, their life so much easier. I've seen a lot of people start with the application and then kind of push it off to the side. But I, you know, it's Evernote. I think the reason everybody likes Evernote, and maybe that's why I could never get my head around, was it was because it was just a browser based application the way most people at, that I work with use it. Because being in a corporate environment, things are locked down. You can't install a lot of stuff on your machine. And I think that's why a lot of people turn to it. But I see all those people that had turned to it have moved away. They, they've stopped using note-taking apps altogether. So I thought, well, here's my chance to become the uh, champion, of, if you will, and, and say, look, we have this. It's part of our corporate you know, software that gets loaded on our machines. 
try it. If we can get it to sync up and get it to work, then I think it would be great because it's a nice way to share notes and to share information. Uh, it, it gives you the ability to share and work just the way paper did uh, previous when I used to use paper all the time. I agree. I think it's much more like paper in terms of how you can add the notes to, well, it's actually a page, isn't it? It creates a page. I think it's very different in concept to Evernote. I think it is far more organic and far more like paper. And is that why you prefer it to Evernote? Yes, that is exactly it. And then, and then I can, the anal retentive side of me can kick in because it's like paper and I can have all my papers organized in a specific way. Um, I mean, I have two or th three notebooks and then I have them broken down into the different types of tasks that I work on related to a project. And I've even gotten uh, to where I now have for the different meetings to keep my meeting minutes or my meeting notes together. I have, you know, I have a page for the type of meeting because I have a lot of meetings. Anybody that works in the corporate world knows you have a lot of regular type of meetings. And then for the weekly meetings, that are the ones that occur weekly, then I create what's called a sub-page. And that keeps all the notes for that particular meeting. And the nice thing about that is, too, is being able to search if I can't remember exactly which day that meeting occurred on. Um, say it's a meeting that I have every Monday and Thursday. That's okay. I can do a search. I can say, I know we talked about this at some point. Easy enough. You put in the search. Mm -hmm. Evernote returns it right back to you, and you can see. And, and You just said Evernote. Uh, I think you mean OneNote. One <laughs> <laughs> All right. Fair disclosure, I'm looking at an Evernote notebook that, that, that up on the screen. So <laughs> We'll let you off. Yeah. But, I mean, it then returns it right back to you because I had a case a couple of weeks ago where I had taken a whole bunch of notes, and I couldn't remember where I had filed them, and I'd actually misfiled them in my notebook system. And I did a quick search, found everything, boom, I was back to work. It was that simple. That's what I like about OneNote. It fits the way my brain works. And I never could get Evernote. Either my brain doesn't fit Evernote or Evernote doesn't fit my brain. I'm not sure which way it is, Lane. Do you know, I completely understand that. I, I actually saw Evernote for the first time on a PC and it looked nothing like it does now. It had a very Fisher-Price interface. It was very quirky, very unique. And they, I think, that, oh, we're looking about 2004, 2005 here. That seemed to vanish and then they were reborn as the Evernote that we know now. And I wanted to love it. But like you're saying, I was thinking tags and searches and notebooks and, oh dear, how do I organise this? It didn't seem to fit my brain either. And the only reason that I stuck with it was that there was no way I could use just OneNote on a PC. I didn't want to have my notes. I mean, you could have had them on the Mac in a virtual machine, but I didn't want my notes that far locked away. Um, so I did stick with Evernote. I took a bit of a break. I, I took it on in about 2008 and put in quite a bit of stuff. And it, then it became more like you're saying it was just reference material for me because it wasn't integrated with how I worked or my brain, I think. And then uh, I went back to it and I thought, I've now got that much information. I've got to put it somewhere. And I also had uh, physical notebooks I'm sure you did as well. Paper notebooks. Yes. And the paper notebooks just worked. 
even though I might have ended up with three of them, you know, you fill one, you put that on one side and you get a new one. Mm -hmm. So your notes were fragmented. But in my head, I still knew where they were. Oh, that was in the green notebook. And it was about three quarters of the way back. There was a kind of physicality to where my notes were. And even though that wasn't maybe ubiquitously with me because it was digital, I still knew where they were. And I was quite calm about that. Um, I then, about three years ago, decided this was it. I had to go all in with Evernote. And I did. But like you, I must admit, I do use it and it's useful for me. There are things I probably couldn't do without it, but I feel I spend too much time fighting it, trying to make it work, trying to put extra tags in, trying to organise it. And no matter how... Um, I have different notebooks and I can organise them by last updated, by the title, alphabetically. But I don't want to do that. I want to drag the pages around into an order that makes sense for me. And Evernote just does not support that at all. Is that the kind of thing that you fight with Evernote with? Yeah, it, it was that. I mean, when when I try to put stuff in, I, I guess it is the same thing, because when I try to put stuff in, it didn't seem to go in the way I wanted it to go in. And, and, and that's the metaphor, that it wasn't as much like the paper notebook that I have used for years and years and years. It didn't, you know, when stuff went in, it seemed to go in and I could find it. But then it was like, wait a minute, though. I just, you know, don't, don't, don't go there. Don't go there. Go over here. And it was like, no, I don't want to put it over there. And I'm going, but you need to go over here. My brain says this has to be here. Yep. That's exactly it. So. That's exactly how I was. I think... It reminds me of the number of times that Mike has attempted to use OmniFocus. <laughs> and I've heard a lot of people say this about OmniFocus. They love the idea. They love the concept of it. They might even love GTD. But when it comes to putting the stuff in OmniFocus, they do like the, the brain dump you're supposed to do. And all of the stuff goes in OmniFocus. And Mike says to me, yes, but I'm worried that I won't find it again. <laughs> that everything goes in there. And I, I do all this, you know, the the perspectives and the tagging and the con contexts and I'll never find that task again or I'll find it in 10 months and think that should have been done six months ago and Evan that's exactly how I was with Evernote I thought okay I've got all of this in here I've even mastered searching because there is a whole very advanced search system with Evernote but it always feels to me I'm sat there looking at Evernote thinking right I've got this innocuous looking search box at the top and I can virtually put regex in it but do I really have to do that I want to know where the notes are so open notebook look at section find page read and work with it and that's really for me what makes OneNote so great and it sounds like that's exactly what you're saying it's the physicality of it yeah, the, the, uh, the metaphor that it does translate directly across is what works for me. And, and as I say, I've got the pages and I have sub-pages. I'm a big, uh, when I take notes anyway, uh, if I take physical notes, uh, I take them in uh, outline format, uh, bullets and stuff like that. And I, you know, I do some drawing around it, of course. But that's, that's the way I have always taken notes, even when I was in college and all like that. So, and that's the way I do it in Evernote. And that's the way it makes sense to me. Completely agree. That's exactly how I work. Well, for anybody who hasn't seen it, I would say the important things to think about are the, the first, the biggest way for me that it's different from Evernote is Evernote is one big bucket and that big bucket is your account. And within your account, you have notebooks and within notebooks, 
notebooks, you have notes. And to me, OneNote has this whole extra layer, which is you do need a Microsoft account to make it work in terms of syncing it. But within your account, you have notebooks and they are the highest level of uh, entity you can have. And you don't have to have them all open at the same time. So if you were think if you've got experience with Evernote, if you can imagine closing some notebooks down so you can focus on what you actually want to do, that's the that to me is the very top level of Evernote of OneNote and why that's the, a huge difference to me. Is that how you work? Do you, do you close notebooks down or focus on an individual notebook? Yes, that's exactly how I do it. I I bring up that notebook. I I've got it there and I'm flipping between the pages or something like that because I'll usually be working like uh, um, me, uh, minutes I took in or notes I took in this meeting versus a document I'm trying to create or a spreadsheet or a report that I'm trying to create. So I have that up and then I have and it, it's it's the ultimate in focus. You can go back and forth between the two very simply and very seamlessly. Evernote I never could I, it, and I think you're right. It is the concept that it's one big bucket and it doesn't have uh, the, you know, people like our, like yourself, I'm thinking now, at this point, and me, we want that organization, we want that, sh that hierarchical structure that we want yeah. to see. And it, Evernote, to me, doesn't do it or doesn't do it in a way that my brain understands it. What I've done when I do need that structure is I've created an extra note in Evernote and then I've dragged and dropped the other notes onto that note and what it does is it creates like a little index note so within Evernote create a new note open that note in a separate window go back to the Evernote window and find the eight notes that you want to refer to drag and drop them onto that new note and it creates like wiki links internal links mm -hmm. so you can click and go backwards and forwards but it always seems that's manual i've got to do that manually if i've missed a note out then i'm never going to refer to it again because i'm going to forget it's there so the the fact that there are separate notebooks just makes completely logical sense to me and then within those notebooks there are sections and they're represented by the tabs across the top so it's a bit like a binder isn't it you use binders like that i use those in university yes so i had one notebook per subject and then within that subject for the different elements within it I had a different section and then the pages themselves are actually within the sections so I th I think a lot of people with Evernote the, the benefit of Evernote is you don't have to pre-think it do you you don't have to think do I need this notebook do I need this section do I need this page you can just sit there and start putting stuff in but while that's the good side of it, the bad side of that is, like we've said, it's one bucket and good luck finding it again. Whereas with OneNote, the structure's there and you know exactly where to go to without searching. Well, the other feature that I use occasionally in OneNote, I don't use it as much, but I slowly I'm using it every now and then, is called a quick note or uh, what do they call it? They have another term for it. It's where you just click on, um, in, in Windows anyway, you have an icon where it's always running and you can say, I just need to take a note. It pops up a window, you can put it, and then you don't have to file it right then if you don't want to. Yeah, yeah, that, that works really well from the iPhone. So I, I've used it on the PC. I must admit, it wasn't something that when I looked, when I installed my VM, it wasn't something that I looked at again. So really it was the fact that it came to the iPhone and the iPad Mm -hmm. a few months ago now I did look at it then and now it looks like that's when you started using it but I only looked at it because I'd used the Windows version 
And I'm guessing you only looked at it because they had it at work. Yes, exactly. Mm. So really, Microsoft have got their own little halo effect going on here. I have fond memories of it, and you've got it at work. <laughs> so when they put it on the iPhone and the iPad, it was like, hmm, I think I'll have a look at this. What put me off with the iPad? Um, it had a very quirky interface, the old one. Did you use it when it had the little spiral binder things on it? Uh, I don't remember that for sure. When you went into the notebook, you had the same drill-down effect. So pick the notebook, pick the section, pick the page. But when you actually looked at the page, which tended to be on the right-hand side, it had like an image of a spiral thing, so very skeuomorphic. Um, it did synchronise okay for me. I had no problems with the synchronisation. But I think my initial thought was, how much time and effort do I want to invest into this? when there isn't a Mac version and I'd be reduced to using the web-based version and I don't really use Windows at all. And I had a play with it and I must admit I left it alone. In the two weeks before they released it for the Mac, I'd come to the conclusion I had a need. So I actually had a problem that needed a solution rather than sitting there with a lot of software solutions looking for problems. <laughs> and what I needed to do was research for courses. And I thought, well, Evernote's the place, I guess, because that's where all my other stuff is. And I could not get my head round, which is just what you're saying, could not get my head round. OK, so I put all these notes in Evernote. How am I going to get them out again? How am I going to make sure I don't lose one of them? Because I, I forgot a tag. And now every time I do the search, that note isn't there. And I'm sure it is there. And then I spend more time looking for it. And I thought through using Evernote. Um, Curio. Have you heard of Curio? No, that's not one I know of. Curio's really good app. It's got that binder metaphor again. Uh, it's quite an expensive app for the, for the Mac. I think it's around the $80 mark, but it is very, very clever. So it's quite similar in concept to OneNote. What put me off using that was there's no iPad, no iPhone version. Uh, there's no web-based version. So I thought, no, if I put stuff in there, I would need to be at a Mac to access it. I thought about DevonThink, but DevonThink, although it does synchronise with mobile, I don't think it does it in a sort of easy way. It's You've got to take a chunk out of it. So I thought, no, I don't think DevonThink's the one for that. There's Circus Pony's Notebook, yes. which people might think is very similar to OneNote. It isn't, it isn't for me. It, it is, it's got that paper metaphor but and the physicality. But again, there, although there is an iPad version, I don't think there's an iPhone version, I've never had it synchronised very well. I think my notebook's too big to synchronise. So I discounted that. And when I sat there and thought it through, I thought, you know what I need? I need OneNote. <laughs> and it took me right back, you know, 12 years thinking, OneNote would be perfect for this. And I'd actually come to the conclusion I'd be prepared to give it a go just for this particular job in the web interface. And then I, I read on the website they were thinking about a Mac version and I got so excited. <laughs> it was alarming. It's a Microsoft <laughs> product and I got so excited. And then within the week it was out. So I did instantly download it and start this project in it. To be honest, now I started using it, I find I'm using it more and more, oh. which is what you're saying. Yeah, uh, like I said, I, I dump everything into it. I have uh, a, I have a couple workbooks for note. Uh, uh, can't speak a couple work uh, notebooks for work and uh, i hey with the mac bites teeth you know yeah i know my teeth yeah mike's left them for you uh, thank you mike i appreciate getting your teeth for the, the the show um and then i had uh i have one that's a personal notebook because 
you know, as, as much as you try to focus on work, life itself comes in all the time and you have to deal with things. Or my brain will start down a path and I'll be thinking purely about something and another side idea will pop in and I'll put it and I throw it into that personal notebook. So it's nice in that sense. But you mentioned something interesting, Circus Ponies OneNotes. I tried that a while back and it's been a while back. I really wanted to be able to use that, but I... It, I had almost the same problem I did with Evernote. I just, it wasn't quite there, and the syncing was not great. But, now I haven't tried it in a long time, but I have heard recently that they now, I think in their newest version, have a back-end syncing process that's all their own. I don't think they're using iCloud. Might be time to have another look at that, then. Yeah, that if you know, but again, I had to find something that worked for me at work, because that's where I take the majority of my notes. I can't see me going back to it, to be honest, because like you're saying, I, even if there is an iPad version, I don't think there's an iPhone version. There wouldn't be a web version, and there wouldn't be a PC version. Yeah. So I think OneNote's got the advantage that it is now across all the platforms you probably want to use it, including Android for me. I have a Nexus 7, and it's very nice on Android too. Oh, that is... You know what? I haven't tried it on. Now you've, you've, you've piqued my interest. I shall have to fire up one of my Linux machines and give it a go on that and see how the web interface works on Linux. That's, mm. It should work pretty well, I'm thinking. Yeah, I've had no trouble with the web interface, even if it's not. You know, you know me and my browsers, how many browsers I've got. <laughs> it doesn't seem to argue no matter what browser I use, and I like that. It doesn't require anything to be installed, configured, or anything else either. So you do i think OneNote is one of the very few that is across every platform you can think of the other one of course being evernote and there is evernote has an advantage in people's minds it's very well supported isn't it a lot of other applications that have got that button sent sent to evernote yeah but they miss one other thing that, that you mentioned earlier that's very important to me working in a corporate environment the integration with outlook mm. and that's where i live i live and breathe in outlook that has my schedule it has, you know, all my e my corporate email and everything. That is the bread and butter. I am lost without Outlook when I'm at the office. So, I, I do, uh, I I do, I haven't fooled with that a whole lot other than I can send stuff over to Outlook or send stuff from Outlook back over to uh, OneNote. I'm still experimenting with that interface, but I see the advantages there constantly to being able to do that. And I have a lot of coworkers that I know use that integration very, very tightly in how they work. It, they have actually, I think, gone about this one the right way for a change um, in terms of they do have ways. They've got a clipper that you can install in your browser, mm -hmm. so you can clip browser pages to OneNote. Have you tried the me at OneNote.com service? The one, no, I don't think I've tried that one yet. It's, um, you go to your site, you know, you have your Microsoft account. Right. On your Microsoft account, you have aliases for your email, so you can log in with various things on your email. Mm -hmm. And I've got my main email address set up in there, and I've also got an Outlook.com email address. So you go to this address, which I will put in the show notes, and you can enable a service called me at OneNote.com, which means wherever you are, you send an email and you address it to me at OneNote.com, and it appears in your OneNote notebook. Oh, I did see something about that. Uh... I was actually taking, there was a, an online course I was taking, uh, I'm, I'm always trying to learn, It's even at my age, I like to continue to learn things, but uh, I was taking the uh, lynda.com course, I think it was, 
and they talked about that, but I hadn't fooled with it. Now that you mention it, I do remember seeing that. But uh, now, now, oh, now there goes my Sunday. That's it. It's gone now, isn't it? Yeah. It works really well. It's it's a doddle to set up. You literally just go in, tick a box, and you're done. Um, and then you send it. Now, I, I tried explaining this to folk, and it's like, just a minute. How can you send it to me at, at OneNote.com? Because won't won't all the notes that get sent to me at OneNote.com get put in the same place? You might get somebody else's notes. Uh, it actually works on who it's come from. So you have to send it from one of the registered email addresses that you have with Microsoft. And that's what filters it into your notebook. And it lands in the Quick Notes uh, book that you were talking about, mm-hmm. which is sort of an inbox. So it lands in there. It, and it, it, it's got complete fidelity with what you send. So that's a really good way to get stuff in. So if you want to share anything to your notebook and it doesn't have a send it to OneNote option, then that send it to me at OneNote.com works great. So, uh, yeah, you need to try that. Yeah, I think uh, I also have heard that if you go up to the office, and we're not running that, but Office 365, that uh, that has a lot more integration as well, too. I haven't had a chance to experiment with that yet, though. Yeah, I've got um, Office 365, but no, I haven't looked at any integration directly from there. I've accessed it through the browser, accessed it in uh, the Windows version, but not actually... It's exciting, isn't it? You're right. My Sunday's gone now, too. <laughs> mm, I'm getting ideas. We're feeding off each other here. It's, it's fantastic. Well, the one thing I haven't done so far is take a detailed look at the Mac version. I downloaded it. I put my credentials in and it pulled all my stuff down and I just sat admiring it. Have you done much more than that? Uh, I have put a few notes in. Like I said, it pulled up my, uh, uh, my OneNote notebook that I had in there. And it was nice. All my notes were there. And again, I hadn't put a lot into it. I'm, I, I haven't had a great deal of experience with it. Um, partly because I had to, when I went to load it, I realized it was the machine I wanted to load it on didn't have Mavericks on it. It is a Mavericks only application for those people listening out there. Mm. So if you're still on uh, Mountain Lion or Snow Lion or whatever the heck it was, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> you need a new Mac. Yeah. It's going to be expensive, this, for a free app. <laughs> this, yeah, it could get real expensive really fast. But uh, I, I had to upgrade that machine to Mavericks. And um, and I loaded it, and I started playing around with it. I haven't played with it as much, but I am going to kick the tires good over the next two to three weeks and, and see what we can do. I want to get the syncing set up. But the interface, the ribbon bar, is something that you, know, you either hate or you like. If you have enough screen real estate, I like the ribbon. When you're working on a small screen, sometimes the ribbon can get a bit intrusive. Of course, you can turn the ribbon down or crank it down, I like to say, squeeze it up. Um, so it's yeah. if you're okay with that metaphor, it's fine. It's it's very clean interface, at least in my opinion. I don't know. how. To, what mm. do you think? I agree. I think I was surprised. Uh, I had um, one of our Twitter followers, um, Peter, and uh, he said, if that's what Office 2014 looks like for Mac, I'm pleased. And I had to agree. I think it's a very nice interface. The only only problem I've ever had with the ribbon, because it doesn't actually take up, it's an optical illusion, isn't it? It doesn't take up that much more room than two toolbars. It's just it looks like it does. My problem's when they try and get clever and anticipate what tools I'm going to need, and the ribbon flicks from one thing to another. It never seems to guess right for me. Which was why I like the interface of the old iWork, where you had um, the inspector and you controlled it. But even they've moved across to this kind of built-in thing that, depending on what I've selected in, say, Keynote, it changes the interface. And it's not right all the time. Not for me, certainly it's not. 
So I don't think it's any worse now than I work. Um, and I've noticed in OneNote it doesn't flick about as much. It, it puts you more in control. You choose whether you want the insert ribbon or the formatting ribbon and just flick between it. So yeah, I'm okay with the ribbon. I agree with you. I like the interface. I, I will have to say you brought up iWork and I know iWork can be a bit of a tender subject for you. So yeah, still getting over it. <laughs> but even with the, my majority use of iWork was I used it in the, in the browser. I like the uh, the web interface to uh, uh, to iCloud and being able to do stuff like that. I wasn't trying to sync anything, so that makes it you know a little just as well. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, just true, just as well. Um, but I, I yeah, I'm going to dive in and see how much it is. I've been considering because I love to use Excel. I use Excel a tremendous amount. In what I do, the pages or I mean, excuse me, numbers is great, um, but it's not quite there for me. Uh, Google Spreadsheet, nope, sorry, been there, done that, don't like that. Um, I am an Excel person. I've been using Excel from from way back when, uh, and that's what I had, because I had to switch to that from Lotus 123. For those that have been around long enough, they'll remember that. Um, so I like I'd love to say I'm too young, but sadly, <laughs> I do remember that. Um, but it is, you know, it, it, it's a great it's a great thing, and I like Excel, so I may be moving over to Office as well. I even saw where Office now has, and I think you tweeted the link to it, they're going to have a different subscription for Office 365, which may push me over that way, too. I'm with Peter and you there. I might, and I like Excel because I like my pivot tables. I love pivot tables, much like my friend Allison Sheridan. I, this is just music to Mike's ears, you know. Oh, is it? He, oh, the Excel trainer. I You're not joking. He, he loves Excel. No, I was, I was putting that out there. I figured that would come up. <laughs> No, I agree with you. The new subscription for Office 365 is a little bit cheaper. It's around the $7 mark, I think, instead of 10 The benefit with the current subscription is that it gives you five installs. Now, I haven't got five installs, but uh, I've, got, I've got one on my Mac. I've got one on my virtual machine and I use it in the browser. But the benefit of the five installs as opposed to the one install is that you can actually, and I think this is so clever of them, you can share that with your family members and they too get OneDrive space, all of their own. I think it's something like 20 gig of OneDrive space. Mm -hmm. So the ability to share it with other people and them have their own account, but you retain the management of the licenses, I think is probably worth the extra. But if you just need it on one platform, one machine, then yeah, that's a really good way. I know they're saying there's a new version coming, and obviously there is a new version coming. And people are saying, oh, it's good that there's a new version for the Mac. They've not actually said it'll be sold as a box product. No, They, they have not said that. No, they, they're calling it, I think I saw it called Office 2014 for the Mac, but yeah, I didn't mm -hmm. see it specifically said it would be a standalone product at all. I think people are assuming it will be, but I don't think that's, I wouldn't be putting my money totally on that, I'm afraid. I think cost-effective wise for them, they're probably not sure how many people would buy it for the Mac. The Mac's got more, I mean... I remember a long time ago saying to Mike, in five years, we'll know a lot more people with Macs, people who would never think of switching. And I was right, they did. And they're like new to it for the first time. They'd be thinking about buying a version for the Mac. I don't think Microsoft are going to have too much of a clue how many they would sell. So to, to keep it easier for them, more cost effective for them, maybe they would do an Apple and make it sort of cloud service only um, in terms of, yes, you can install it, but it's a subscription based service. I can see them going that way. 
I like that that way of working. Um, the, the box product for the Mac, when you've installed it, that's it. The serial number is attached to the Mac and you're done. I've got too many Macs to be thinking about that. <laughs> and I, I don't like software like that. You know, I want to choose what hardware I use and I want to be able to transfer my software between it. And I know there's hacks and, and horrible workarounds that you can do. But I like the fact that if my Mac goes bang with Creative Cloud from Adobe, I just deactivate the software. Um, with Office, I just deactivate it. And I don't have to worry. With some Mac software, like, say, ScreenFlow, I've got to ring them up. And I've got to explain that my Mac's gone bang, and can you, un, you know, can you release this license from it so I can install it on the other one, please? It just seems quite prehistoric compared to the ability to remotely manage it. And of course, OneNote's going to be part of that. It's available free at the minute. I think it's going to stay free. Do you think they're taking Evernote on head head on? Uh, I think they have plans to. I don't think they're they're there yet. I, but I, I, I can see that in the offing. I can see where, you know, they're thinking... I mean, Microsoft has always said they want to do the the online or the subscription-based software. And, and really, if you're an Evernote Pro user, I don't remember what the cost is. You probably know better than I do. Uh, I think it's around 40 to $50 a year. Okay. So I can see them once they feel they've got a, a thing and uh, or a, a product. Uh, I do see them going head-to-head with Evernote. And I think, um, you know, good or bad, indifferent, Microsoft has the back-end infrastructure that is more robust and more um, available, I guess is the better way to say it, on more platforms. And I think on enough platforms, I should say, not more, that they will make a push hard against Evernote. But only the users will design them because you, you and I both know a ton of people on the Macintosh platform that will not touch a Microsoft product at all. That was my attitude ooh, a few years ago. But now, I, if I need to get the job done, then I'm going to use what I need to do to get the job done. And there was a point, probably for about six years, I had nothing Microsoft installed at all. And then I had a need for Office. And with OneNote, I want to. I want to install it and I want to be able to use it. It is different to Evernote. And I don't like it when, when you get these people who are like, I'm using Evernote. Why would I want to use that? If you don't, if you don't have a need to use it, and Evernote, you know, looks after all your needs, then don't use it. But if you, if it works the way your brain works, then move to it. And it's not either or either. I remember. I mean, Mike was sort of. I'm not too sure whether I want to even bother with this. And I said, well, if you don't have a need for it, don't use it. But if it, it, you know, have a look at it. And it isn't either or. You don't have to bin Evernote and then think about transitioning your notes out of Evernote into OneNote. Have you never had two physical notebooks? When one gets full, you put it down and you use another one. So it isn't either or. It's not a war as far as I'm concerned. I'm quite happy to use both, but use it maybe for different things, different ways of working. Yeah, exactly. I think that's, that is true. I, you know, I, I, although I can't get my head around Evernote, I have no problem with the people that do that. I know, you know, people use Hazel, they use If This Then That, and all, and all these sorts of things that work well with Evernote, but more power to you, but I'm going to use the tool that makes sense to me and that fits in. Now, if I start to figure out a way that I could use Evernote or that I could use the uh, Circus Ponies application or anything else like that, I'll do it. I mean, I was a lot of things uh, that I was doing before switching to Evernote. As I had started to transition from paper over, one thing I was using was 
uh, Notepad++. I don't know if you're familiar with that on the PC side, but I was taking plain text notes, and that was great. That worked out. It 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 had that uh, metaphor of a physical notebook, and then I transitioned over. That made the transition over to OneNote even that much easier, because mm -hmm. it was plain text, and that's even though OneNote is not plain text, it still fit the the way I was doing things, and it was easy to just. It took me five minutes to dump all the stuff I put in uh, Notepad++ over into Evernote or OneNote, and there I was. That was easy peasy. Yeah. Nope, I agree. Use the right tool for the job, whatever makes sense to you. And and I don't get like, I don't, I don't, you know how I, I'm going to categorize this? I've not bought the socks. <laughs> With Evernote, I just use it, but I'm not that much of a fangirl that I bought the socks. If it makes sense to put it into Evernote, I'll put it into Evernote. But I was already using Evernote and DevonThink. And people were saying to me, why do you use both? You know, they both do the same job. And for me, I stopped and I thought, no, for me, they don't both do the same job. DevonThink's for long-term storage and files and stuff like that. And Evernote's more of, don't like to say it, but a scratch pad. You know, the work in progress, the stuff that I'm doing. I would like the ability to archive stuff out of Evernote easily. And although you can export, I always worry about, well, will I be able to get them back in if I need them? Whereas OneNote's built like that. It's built to have separate notebooks. And if you don't want to look at this notebook today, then just close it down. Yes. And you can even take the one file, it's a one file, and hand that off to somebody else. And you can share as well. I've done some sharing with Mike. But I think I need to um, go away now and have a look at it uh, on the Mac and try and integrate it with Mike. You never know, I might get Mike persuaded. Oh, that would be some... Brainwashing. Yeah, I know. Yes, brainwashing. Because when I did some sharing, um, unexpected things happened. So I'm going to go away and uh, have, a, have a look at the Mac version and really put it through its paces. And it sounds like that's what you're going to be doing too. Yes, I am, I'm going to, uh, as I said, I haven't had but a few days to fool with it on the, on the Mac, but I intend to really kick the tires and, and beat it around and, and compare the two and see what I can do. I'm liking that idea. So, I've got an idea. How about we come back in a couple of weeks and we say what we think about the Mac version? Uh, okay, do we say it in a, in a nice way or a bad way? No, wait a minute, that's a different show. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think we say it, it we, we say, we say what we feel. That's what we do. <laughs> no, I think that's a wonderful idea and I would be very honored to do that. Ah, well, it would be great to have you back. So until next time, it's goodbye from me and, <laughs> and me. Thank you very much. So a big thanks to Kevin for that and, um, see you next time. Literally. Yeah, thanks to Kevin for that. I work in a lockdown environment as well, as I think most people know by now. So, Oh, do we? So I know the feeling. I did actually once use OneNote at work. Just the once. Steady on. F mm, for putting a training course together. But then I fell back to Evernote. And I think the main reason was a lack of syncing. Um, because I didn't realise there's a web, a web app at the time. And also, I couldn't save to OneDrive. So I was having to save my notebook locally uh, and, and then not able to work on it on the iPad, for example, or on the Mac. And that, was, uh, that I think, was the reason that I went back to Evernote. But I'm going to investigate whether I can actually uh, save it to OneDrive at work because I've got access to OneDrive. Uh, but why did I use it in the first place? I guess because it was there. And I wanted to try it. And I've actually got no idea why it was on my PC. Because it's not part of the standard build at our place. Because you can never have too much software. 
well no but a few months ago uh, we took on a contract trainer in our team to cover for me whilst I was working on the 365 project and she uses it all the time and she wanted to have it installed on her wa her work laptop that they lent to her. Now, the budget holder for our department wouldn't pay for a license for her, so I very kindly transferred my license to her. What? Yes. Well, I wasn't using it. <laughs> I might never recover from the shock of mm. this. Anyway, um, I still have the software on my Vista laptop, but it's not licensed to use it. So, apart from that, I've actually only used the web app a little. Now... I actually like the notebook metaphor for organisation. It makes more sense. You've said this as well. It's, it makes more sense. And it's, it does it better than Evernote because Evernote, you, yeah, you've got a notebook, but you could end up having loads of notebooks, one for each project, and then notes with it inside it. But this just is, is better for organisation. And this, I think you mentioned it, Kevin, uh, take a quick note Thing. that sounds good you also mentioned outlook integration which now i'm interested oh in. yes that rang your bell didn't yes, it that did and as a side note finally um i also remember lotus one two three it was the first app that i delivered training on 25 years ago <laughs> i had a variation of lotus one two three for my amiga and i remember looking at it and, and thinking right so i put numbers in here and it adds them up big deal and then i met you you, you um, explained to me why spreadsheets are awesome. And that's what you fell for, was it? Spreadsheets? Uh, no, I can honestly say not. <laughs> no, because you also talked to, talked to me about uh, data ease. Oh, I did. And that, to this day, no, I won't have it. Doesn't make sense. Illogical. Let's, let's not go down that no, road. No, not, not data ease. But on that note, I think it's time for feedback and comments, don't you? Oh, yes. Yes, we heard from Mac Jim the Real. I was wondering where he was. I was worried. Yes. Mm. Ah, can he handle it, Captain, he said. Too many podcasts in a row. You see, they say they can handle it, and then what happens? I've now spent a fortune, I a fortune, after listening to you both, all 69p for Boxer. <laughs> I need to try harder. I do, because yeah. I, I can get Graham to spend more than that, usually. You can. Oh, I'm going to find something else, McJim. He's also signed up for the beta of Busy Contacts. Oh, that's a good one, that. Lots it of tweet is. box, but it's looking hopeful. Yes. I'm excited about that one. Anyway, it is great to hear from you, McJim. And as he signed off, he was reporting a sudden need to sit down and recover from the shock of all those Mac bites, you know. Mm, weren't we all? Oh, yes. Yeah, but I think with us, it was exhaustion. Yes. I'm also happy to report that Minster survived the entire Mac by 7 without incident or serious injury. We definitely have to try harder. Now, Minster's suggestion of a weekly show was greeted with delighted agreement by many MacBiters. So, um, here with next week's show. Enjoy. That's this week's show. Next week's next week. Yes, but when we're recording it, it will be next week, wouldn't it? True. I'm wriggling now. Carry on. True, yeah. Anyway, early warning of an impending event. Yes, WWDC has been announced for the 2nd of June. And we expect a keynote at 6pm UK time, 10am 10 uh, 10 Pacific time. And we'll be there sharing the MacBytes chat room with all the lovely MacBiters. We also relay proceedings for those stuck without uh, access to the live stream. Because usually if Apple do do it, it's Safari only. Hate that. 
So uh, if you're at work and you're on Windows and you're locked down, you won't be getting it. But we relay it. We relay it in a way that you'll be able to see it. So um, put it in your calendar or better still, subscribe to our MacBytes calendar and let us do it for you. You do realise the MacBiters are all clamouring for new new version of iWork knowing what that might bring oh now come on give us a chance to recover from the first MacBytes 7 and you never know well that's it for this episode of MacBytes. and as always we'd love to hear from you so send your questions your comments and your queries by email to macbytesuk at gmail.com you can use the contacts form on the website you can send us an audio file leave us a comment on the show notes at macbytes.co.uk and don't forget to send in your Mac love bites. Leave a review on iTunes, like us on Facebook, circle us on Google+, sign up for the newsletter at macbytes.co.uk, follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash macbytes, and follow me on Twitter at twitter.com slash thomasmike with the teeth in. My word, I'm very impressed. You can follow me at twitter.com slash Giles. And you can follow me at twitter.com slash series. So until the next time, this has been Mike and Elaine bringing you MacBytes. Goodbye. Goodbye and see you next time. I noticed they didn't mention Apple's purchase of Navoris. Who are they? A voice technology company. Sounds more like a disease to me. Why did Apple buy them? To improve us, apparently. We are perfect as we are. What she said.